Hello and welcome to the Western Front. The pillars of civilization crumble around us as we become voyeurs unto our own ending. As we watch the world burn and the flames of insanity ravage through the streets of Rome. You're fucking a white male! Excuse me, Islam to me is one of the most, is the most feminist religion. So you were telling me before we recorded about uh, a little bit of drama that's been happening uh, with Candid. Uh, th- this will be an interesting thing to put on our first contest, a little bit of drama, a little bit of excitement. But um, I've, I actually I, I don't know how publicized this is because people on my Twitter know, but you know, I didn't put anything out on YouTube, so I don't know how many people know that I actually have a sort of insight into the inner workings of Candid. So... Why don't we go over, you catch me up on what's all happened, and then we can uh, we can talk about that for just a little bit. To be honest and frank, I didn't really bother much about that story at all as well. I really didn't give a fuck. I just watched one of Harmful Opinions' videos, and then I noticed, oh, he called, he caught Shoe and Head and the Amazing Atheist out and doing something, mm. and I thought that was the end of it. And then only recently in the past weeks I noticed, where the fuck is Harmful Opinions? I haven't seen a video by him in quite a long time. And I only noticed uh, yesterday, yesterday night at around two in the morning, fuck, his channel is gone. His entire YouTube mm-hmm. channel. I think he had around 87,000 subscribers or something like that. All of that just evaporated and gone. And I looked into it and I found, yeah, he and another guy called Johnny Fox, who does the Johnny Fox show. I, I think you know him. He's a small YouTuber who yeah, covers yeah, yeah. news and whatnot. Both of them got hacked by someone unknown. Um, They had their YouTube channels hacked, they had their Skypes hacked, and they had their Twitters hacked. And Johnny Fox managed to get everything back after stirring a fuss. But Harmful Opinions had his YouTube channel deleted completely. All of the stuff that he had built over the past years, woof, gone. And it is safe to consider, or at least to assume in a certain regard, that might be due to the involvement of people from Candid. Because... I've managed to find Harmful Opinion's second channel, which is called Cyber Violence, where it continued covering this topic. And he talked about how people from Candid, including the CEO, apparently, encouraged and engaged in harassing his mother her on mm-hmm. social media and essentially hiring people or trying to hire people to go after people critical of Candid. Well, I mean, I know that there's... a. Uh, uh... I mean, speaking about the community briefly, we could probably get into that. First of all, I'm, I want to touch on this issue. It's a fucking community. Stop with this bullshit. You're all friends. You all follow each other on Twitter. You all talk about the same thing. You all have the same intellectual conversations. You all know each other on Skype. You're all on live streams together. You follow each other on Instagram. You follow each other on Snapchat. You're friends. You're a community. Stop with this bull. Oh, it's not a community because I don't want anybody to be able to criticize us in a, uh, as a sort of general trend. I'm sorry, but you can criticize groups, groups of people, vaguely defined groups of people based on trends. And that's not collectivism. That's just being rational. And it's just observing reality. That's what that is. So this is a community, and looking at the way that uh, it reacted with Candid, I think it kind of showed a sort of general trend within the community about you know the principles, etc. Uh, I have stuff to say about that. You, you know I have my opinions. Mm-hmm. There's people in it that I like. There's people that I don't. It's, you know, the one thing that I think is uh, really 
excuse me for using the word, but problematic is that fans sort of assume that we don't get to have different opinions about different YouTubers, you know? And it's like, we're people. We are individuals. Yes, this is sort of like a high school... Uh, a high school lunchroom, you know, there's some vaguely defined community of people in the same intellectual and media sphere, but we also get to act as individuals acting and opining on each other uh, with our various free will. And there's this 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 sort of uh, silencing about that. And I think that's one of the things that Candid really, uh, really brought forward is that this sort of community doesn't really have I mean the idea that it had intellectual or ethical standards has kind of fallen by the wayside by uh, how some people reacted to it and that's the more important thing like like you said I didn't really care about the candid thing it's oh there's a, some fucking app that's doing shitty stuff wow great that's so important but then when I saw all these people how they reacted to it how there was just this incredible vitriol to it it showed the kind of principle they had it shows the kind of kind of uh, moral compass they have it shows their priorities and it's quite obvious that through the way candid reacted to this again the way the candid itself reacted to it there's a lot of moral and ethical impropriety, and um, um, like I said, I have a sort of insight into it because I got offered money from Candid to do a video, and I actually got like a thousand fucking dollars from them for to do nothing, and and I, <laughs> I, I I'm I'm violating the uh, the terms of the contract, you know, so fucking sue me, but. Um, uh, they wanted to pay me $2,000 to do a video, and I told them outright, okay, but you're going to have to let me say everything that I want to say. I won't allow you to mess with that. We can talk about language, but the actual content has got to be there. They paid me half of it up front, then I sent them a draft. They're like, well, we don't want to do it anymore. Will you pay some of that money back? I stopped responding. I just kept the thousand fucking dollars. <laughs> I got I got paid a thousand dollars for being ethical. So I mean, and I didn't have to get my name torn through the mud. So it, it just goes to show you that's all you would have to do is just talk to them and say, okay, this is I have to have ethical standards. But you know, the fun the thing that I would like to add to this this Finkel community. You know, if I were ever to start some kind of evil organization, kind of a Bond villain thing, I would probably call it the community. It's like the perfect the term. But what I would like to say, some people have the idea, especially from outside, when they look at this community, that we constantly band together. That is not necessarily mm. the case as well. I mean, we are in a certain way a community. We communicate with each other. We're bound together over the, through the topics that we cover. But it, there is a division in certain in-groups. People yeah, that more often a, stick together. There's a together. cool kids club. And not necessarily a cool kids club. I mean, I hang out more often with you and with Jeff Holiday, and people like that. And some people, some of us despise each other. I fucking hate Cult mm -hmm. of Dusty, for example. And this goes back and forth in between these people. There's a lot going on outside of YouTube and Twitter as well. Yeah, and like as far as it goes. Um there's people who like you know my personality just doesn't mesh with them like if I'm honest I think that's bearing like uh, me and bearing we just don't get along we have different personalities I don't think that's like a bad thing that's not saying he's a bad person morally or ethically I just don't like him 
It's just, you know, and that's okay. We have differences of personalities. It's not something that we hate each other. It's just whatever. But then there's people like the Amazing Atheist, and I'm going to be perfectly honest. I think the guy's a fucking douchebag. I totally do. He's an e-beggar. He doesn't have any intellectual positions that aren't <laughs> group-tested to get him the most amount of views in that specific moment. It's it's all just uh, him pretending to be intellectual, and his fans buy it because they're, you know, also pretending to be intellectual. So <laughs> they, they, they don't have to question any of the things. Oh, well, uh, you know, we have more people who die of car accidents than suicide attacks. I oh, think... that's Well, you know what? That's why we have seatbelts and stop signs, you stupid piece of shit. Just shut the fuck up. It's just... I think the best one when but... it comes to e-begging is Cult of Dusty. Yeah. Uh, he's the... Uh, honestly... <clears throat> yeah, yeah, he is completely off my radar. I have no idea what he does. Did you did you see the that's something that got me into a little bit of trouble? Did you see the DMs of Twit on Twitter that I published? It's something that I don't usually do, but he sent me a couple of DMs, which was uh, shortly after I've been doxxed, and uh -huh. they were so I, I kept them on me for about five six months. And then he made this hilariously stupid video where he said, oh, yes, I am the only one in this community who dares to attack the old right. And therefore, I'm going to make a video attacking Zargon of Akkad no, uh -huh. and Chris Reagan. And he's a fucking attention whore. And he sent me this uh, DM and it starts with, sorry to hear you got doxxed. I don't think you deserve it. I have nothing against you for the record. It's all part of the show for me. And I asked yeah. him, what, what the fuck do you mean with the show you know i don't if you think it's a show that i got doxxed or something like that well, that isn't really the thing the thing is what do you mean with show and he said um, he replied to that with i've been doing a social media show on facebook for the last five years part of the show revolves around me saying controversial things and then arguing with the people who are upset by it much of my yeah. audience really seems to enjoy it even tj told me when i was on the drunken peasants that it was the most interesting thing on facebook but anyway facebook decided they didn't want me to do my show there anymore they have banned me for five months out of the year so far so i have to move my show to twitter it's like the most revealing statement by anyone within this so-called community that I've ever read. It's like someone, he, he basically just exists to shuffle money by any yeah, means possible. It really is It really is a society of the spectacle. And that's one of the things that I think that it's, it's good to talk about. Like the sort of moral and ethical failings on quote-unquote our side, the quote-unquote anti-SJW side. Because I, I think the problem that uh, uh, that you can get into, and I, I, I've you know had this happen. Is this sort of uh, uh, absolutist mentality of you know there can be no moral failings, no ethical failings, and one step out of line is terrible. And the thing is, there are some things that you know that go that cross the line. There are some things like, especially for me, I feel that there are some things that definitely do cross the line. But the idea that there's some sort of purity test, that there's some sort of um, uh, essential anti-SJW-ness that you have to abide by is really... I, I understand why people say, oh, this isn't a community, because they don't want to have to stand by some purity test. But at the yeah. same time, well, the thing is, it is the, a community. The thing that differentiates our so-called community from everything else is that we actually have a kind of diversity, meaning a diversity of opinion. Yeah. We argue with each other constantly at that. 
So we have yeah. what every other community on YouTube lacks. We disagree, yeah. and that is what makes us special. It is what makes us great. And we also have within us people like Dusty, who are just there to fucking shuffle money for attention. And <laughs> what about him? Well, to me, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's morally wrong, but at least it reveals that he's kind of a, well, a, <laughs> how do I put it? In, in German, we have the expression of someone who goes with the wind. Wherever the wind blows, yeah, he goes yeah. along with it. Um, yeah, that we have people like that as well. And the reason I got so upset and why I by now despise this motherfucker is because he likes he proposed himself to be like the the grand knight fighting uh, the anti SJW community slivering into right wing politics. Apparently, according to him, at least. Whilst in fact, he's just someone on the internet making money out of saying things that he believes are outrageous. Well, I mean, the problem is that all of this focus on just anti-SJW, I mean, the thing with, you know, just being vaguely anti-SJW is it really detracts from the the sort of core conversations that we should be having. And that's, that's like, my entire problem. Like, like, the, like, it does say a lot about Cult of Dusty's character, what his goals are, what he's trying to achieve, that he's just out for this, this society of the spectacle. And... I can say that, you know, I am deliberately inflammatory all the fucking time because I think it's fun, mm. but there's sort of like a, a layer of irony that's that's supposed to, like, lampoon the ridiculousness of this society that we're living in, the fact that we can't have these honest conversations. That's kind of why I wanted to come on here. We've You and I have had disagreements before. I mean, uh, I'm... Uh, there's also a value of priorities. Right At least that is something, in yeah. my opinion, a lot of people disagree with me on this. But to a certain degree, I think that anti-SJWism is kind of running its course. And for me, my top it priority really is. is still going after Islam, which I believe is the most predominant threat to our civilization. And I don't, I, yeah, I don't see people I think that putting the it's attention probably on globalism. It. Uh, I, I I think it's pro- globalism. I think it's probably like I think that what's uh, uh, the underlying problems that are causing uh, the problem with Islam stem entirely from the left. And this is this is this is like a majority of why I consider myself right wing. But if you if you look at the the sort of dialectic that we're having about Islam, it surrounds this idea and understanding of cultural relativism and this is why i consider myself uh a conservative is because i believe in i I think vaguely i think the term i would use is i am a um um i am a social darwinist i believe two things it's it's not like i believe that the the people on top have the right to you know impugn the uh, the morals. Well, that's not that's not social Darwinism. I don't know if you read the book by Lee Kuan Yew, the president or the prime minister of Singapore. Mm. And he, no, I haven't, but I should. He proclaimed himself to be a social Darwinist, and when people attacked him on that, oh, the survival of the fittest, he said, "No, I believe in the survival of the best adaptive, the ones that adapt no, exactly. the best." I mean, the question is, is like, you know, people say, oh, the fittest, you just mean you straight white males. No, I mean the best. The people who are the best should rise 
in our society. And yeah. I believe that we already do have a system where that is mostly true, especially in the United States. I mean, when you look at like the wealthiest people, my numbers are going to be off. I'm terrible with numbers, but something around 70% of wealthy families have lost all of their wealth by the second generation, and it's like something like 95% by the third generation. And of millionaire, millionaires and billionaires, you know, the top wealthy people in the country, only 7% of those top wealthy people inherited a good portion of their wealth that, you know, they just inherited that wealth to be wealthy. You know, yeah. it's it's such a wealth is such a minor problem, but we have this view, this justification of poverty, that oh they're poor because the system has them down, so we have to rectify that system, and that conversation is what bleeds into the conversation about Islam. It's that oh these countries are poor because uh, the system is bad because of colonialism, and we need to rectify that system by letting them fuck our wife. It, it's it, basically the, the funny. The funny thing is, to. it doesn't even have anything to do with wealth at this point because if you take a look at the arab world if you take a look at saudi arabia kuwait qatar uh, the united arab emirates and bahrain these are countries that for the most part have an extreme wealth mm. uh, an outrageous wealth they spend money on bullshit there's this saudi prince who who built a fucking opera house out of marble imported from italy somewhere in the middle of the fucking desert and then he wasn't even allowed to use it because it was deemed that opera is haram uh, you know, it's <laughs> throwing money out of the windows for bullshit. So it yeah. isn't even about wealth anymore at this point. And it is the Gulf states that are the main cause of what we are suffering under now. I do yeah, it really is. I mean, in combination with some probably, you know, uh, some CIA black ops turning the frogs gay. But, you know, in combination with some Western influence uh, 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 to to cause this kind of thing. And that's that's the sort of... That's what I really think is the problem is this sort of global uh, international money, you know, the international Jewry, but, you know, it's, it's not the Jews. It's international money. It's these international corporations, these conglomerates that are doing their best to uh, sanitize culture, sanitize society, sanitize civilization to market it and sell it at a profit. And uh, this is going to sound like extremely left wing, extremely like, you know, socialist to me, but this is me criticizing capitalist from a traditionalist perspective is that I think that that is a huge problem and I think that that's sort of the epicenter of why we're 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 going along this route I'm, I'm going to add to that that there is a tendency especially during the Bush and Reagan administration which also contributed to the rise of the Islamic wow. problem which was the idea that religious values fundamentally no matter what religion are always an inherently good thing which in the case no, of no, stop. In, in the case of exactly. Islam turned out to be absolutely fucking wrong. There's this scene from the um, when the Soviets invaded Afghanistan. Ronald Reagan actually invited some of the Taliban to the White House to sit <laughs> together with them and have a chat. And he uh -huh. said, "Oh, these are the the founding the equivalent of our founding fathers. You know, they're going uh -huh. to go home to Afghanistan, liberate Afghanistan, and create the shining city on the hill in the middle of uh -huh. Kashmir, which didn't fucking happen, of course." Right. It's, it's a history uh, there's, there's of an enemy being underestimated. Clippings. It's an enemy there's that was underestimated. Clippings. Yeah. I think I think that that's a portion of it. But there, there's old newspaper clippings of like Osama bin Laden, uh, anti-Soviet warmer warrior, uh, uh, leads his troop to peace. It's it's that kind of shit. And it's because I think it's because of this this same mentality. This this. Uh, 
commodification of cultures and traditions. Like, you know, you go to an Italian restaurant, there's nothing Italian about Italian food anymore. There's nothing Chinese about Chinese food anymore. Well, maybe, maybe in the United more of an States. American maybe thing. in the United States, but, but still here to a certain extent. I can guarantee you well, that. Well, there, there's still this, this generic commodification and globalization of societies and cultures. And it's because we see the value of, uh, of money in exchange, but we don't see the value of tradition anymore because tradition has been completely commodified. Tradition and culture is only valuable to, to you know, how much money it can make, how much, uh, how much is in your bank account. And what we don't really understand is that it's the traditions from which this commodity grows. It, it just doesn't go come from nowhere. It isn't, you know, capitalism that just moved in and just, you know, sucked uh, all of the money out of the third world. No, it was generated by this tradition of meritocracy and uh, scientific uh, uh, and scientific exploration. That's where this comes from. And the problem is that we've taken these traditions and completely commodified them and removed them from any sort of cultural or... Um, or community. This well, it's not just that. It's not just traditions. marketing of culture and tradition. It is also um, bending and breaking culture and tradition to be a servant to virtue, to the yeah. current whim of politics. To the that's current exactly whim a of part of it. Culture. That is a part of the commodification. It's this personal emotional vindication. Everything is being commodified to these people. To, you know, these people, the left, the the uh, the Bay Area. It's all about sensibilities. Yeah. exactly, and it's to sell them more shit. That's all it is. It all they want to do is they want to take Indian food, take all of this shit, take all of the all of the benefits of multiculturalism, put it on a big capitalist platter, and sell it to some blue-haired fucking. Uh, um, a blue-haired feminist uh, dance therapist in the Bay Area who will pay top dollar to feel as if she's multicultural. It's it's this grand globalization and commodification of everything. But the problem is, Western civilization is no longer seen as a commodity. It's no longer being sold. It's no longer it's seen no longer as a culture. A it's no longer seen as a culture to a certain degree. Our cultures have been made irrelevant by the modern left. It has it been, is. And, it, yeah. As and I think I think that capitalism has something to do with it. This sort of uh, it, it's 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 not this you know uh, the sort of meritocracy of capitalism. It's this uh, this capitalism of global influence. You know the the capitalism that removes itself from the community and seeks to commodify the community. And that's uh, an issue that I think I think that's the most important issue. And that's kind of what I think about. You know what? Uh, that's that's you know what keeps me up late at night is thinking about the endless commodification of culture, and the destruction of tradition. What keeps me up at night is the murder rates, the homicide rates, representation of different population groups within them, the terrorist crime, the terror statistics globally, and everything like that. Because I see, I see Islam in our day and age as the same kind of threat that communism posed in the 50s, 60s, yeah. 70s, um, fascism posed in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Well, maybe communism also since the 20s, if we're being blunt and honest. Yeah. And I do believe that globalism, it might be, I think globalism could be defeated through a resurgence of culture, whilst Islam actually has a shot 
a pretty dangerous shot, to be honest, at undermining our values and civilization. At well, I mean, crippling the it. initial the initial problem of Islam is that the 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 victory of Islam isn't through warfare; it's through demographic replacement. I mean, wh- what are you gonna do? You kill them all? <laughs> There's the the only way to uh, the, to defend your civilization from demographic replacement is to you know. I think the most important thing for us to refine, to rekindle, is the fires of our own civilization, to reassert ourselves and to reassert our values, to say, this is what we stand for. You know, we stand for free speech. We stand for yeah. equality before the law. We stand for a free society. We stand for free speech. And this is what we're not doing. We're bending forward and backwards for these people. We're not allowing them to be held up to the same standards. As I guarantee you, this is something I say repeatedly and people think I'm being ridiculous as soon as you hold the muslim community in europe to the same standards as you would hold everyone else before the law and before politics and before the public platform and the public arena i bet you half of them will leave half of them will go back to the middle east i'm sure of it maybe i mean there's there's like a lot of things but the problem is is that uh, a large portion of that is just the abuse of the welfare state Uh, yes that's what exactly what i meant in denmark when they for example uh, in Denmark, I think it was last year, they abolished um, welfare checks and services, social services for refugees and migrants, and 40,000 people left the country overnight. <laughs> it just goes to show you. I mean, that that's, exact, that's the thing that I've been saying all the time. It's so funny to see all of these refugees welcome. Because it, it, it's, again, it's not even the commodification of cultures anymore. It's... Uh, uh, it's this other phrase, this externalization of political issues, and that's what—that's why I fucking despise the, these Bay Area shitheads because they never, never will have to deal with the consequences of their virtue signaling. They aren't poor. They won't have to live in a dilapidated school run by Islamist gangs. They won't have to be in the prisons where Islamist gangs are running amok and converting people left and right for the fear of their own safety. They won't have to deal with not being able to get welfare because the welfare ro- the welfare rolls are hopped up on uh, Muhammad and his five fucking underage wives. You, you know, you can't fucking... There is this this simple inability. They're like for... a they're like an eighteenth or seventeenth century European aristocracy. Let they them really eat are. cake, kind of. Yeah, they're completely out of touch with the realities of the common citizen. And this is this is why uh, I, when you look at the discussion about you know race and racism, there's a reason why race. Whenever you like. Uh, uh, look at like what's the stereotype of a racist? Oh, it's all of those those poor Southerners. Yeah, poor people. Fuck those people. Racism is the last you know hope of a desperate people. And if you look at the, it, it's true. It's sad, but it's true. It's it, when you put take someone out of the the wonderful, beautiful civilization that we've crafted from the earth, and you put them uh, on an island. Everything old is made new again. And that's what we're slowly finding out in terms of Islam, is that these people aren't they, they aren't affected by the, the liberal malaise of champagne socialism. They are the old enemy that we forgot that even existed. And that's why racism is becoming such a there, big there thing. Is also, that's the only there way is to also a very this. cruel and 
weird irony to that when when you see the rich spoiled brat the liberal northerner from new york or massachusetts or from the bay area in california just going on this rampage over u.s culture apparently not existing mocking the southerner Uh mocking the the guy from mississippi mocking uh, the guy from Alabama, from Louisiana, etc., dismissing them as uncultured swamp savages, essentially, and declaring that, no, you're not real culture. The real culture is being created by the people who slice up a woman's vagina in the middle of the desert so yeah, yeah. she can't ex- have sex. The irony behind all of that is that American culture, and I know that a lot of Europeans, especially Brits, scoff at that idea, does exist. And American culture mainly came out of the South. Tennessee Will, Tennessee Williams, um, Askin Caldwell, William Faulkner, uh, fucking the best novelists and playwrights the United States ever produced came out of the South. Yeah. The slasher movie, the horror movie, the road movie, um, any music you ever heard that made you feel go to go fucking insane or whatever, I guarantee you it came out of the South. It originated well, I- out of the South. The South is well, the heart a, of American culture. And to mock really the is, South is to mock the essence of American culture. I think that the uh, I think that there's a very uh, there's a very important thing to say about that. I think we were talking a little bit about the French elections, which uh, I am so split over because the problem is is that uh, the Front National is basically your average you know, centrist socialist party, but it just has a nationalist bent. It's, it's uh, quite literally, you know, it's it's, it's, it's economic the, policies are going to be disastrous for France. That's just all. You think I, so? Well, I, it's, it's, I haven't it's, looked at it's, anything. It's nineteen sixty state socialism. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It is. It is the closest thing that I've ever seen to a real national socialist party in the like in like the absolute spirit that national socialism was was uh, meant to be. Not you know the let's kill all the Jews, uh, uh, neo Nazi stuff, but the actual we are going to use the government power to benefit our nation and our people bound by blood and uh, and soil. That national socialism is the closest thing I've seen to it ever. And when you look at where its support is coming from, it's coming from people who are under 30. And it's the strangest thing. It, it isn't, you know, this old white people who are just dying off. It's the young people. And I think it's because the young people in Europe are the people who have to deal with multiculturalism. Because old people, they you know they live in their gated communities with all the other white people in the retirement homes. They don't have to be out in the club, in the schools, on the streets, in the low wage jobs, actually dealing with all this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's well in it's, France in particular, the old people. You know, France still has an official retirement age. The French, uh-huh. you know, if you're old in France, you live out in the countryside and drink wine for the rest of for forty years that you still have remaining to you. Yeah. So they don't have to deal with this shit either. And the the thing about Francois, I mean, the left has collapsed in France over the last one year. It's just puffed up. And the thing Mm -hmm. about Francois Fillon, there is things about him that I don't like and things about him that I like. For example, he's a Catholic, a very devout Catholic. And he is, that might sound weird to people, but he is the first French politician since um, de Gaulle, who is openly religious. The first, wow. the very first in that actually says a lot. Yes, yeah, fi- in fifty years, and his economic policy program—if you read for it—it's it's Thatcherism. 
I mean, two-thirds of all working French people work for the government. The energy sector in France is nationalized, belongs to the state. Almost a majority of all industries in France belong to the state. And he, yeah. is just, he insists on essentially privatizing the lot of it, lowering the tax rates, getting rid of the official retirement age, etc., etc., the mandated retirement age. And France is one of the few countries still remaining in the Western world that can be halted, brought to a standstill, socially and economically, for union power. It, mm. it, it's like the 70s and 60s in France. And he might actually change that. And I believe that France, during the 1970s, most countries in the Western world, not actually in the 1970s, the 1980s, to be honest, went through, you know, the, the era of fascism, of Reagan and of Helmut Kohl, went through this phase of privatizing national industries, lowering tax rates, etc., etc., opening up to the free market. And France refused that because France elected a socialist president in the 80s with France... Um, Francois Mitterrand, who refused that global trend. And France has been holding on to these economic state nationalized programs since, ever since. It has been holding on to them, never even attempting to undermine them. And now, under Francois Fillon, they might actually take the step of doing that. I initially, yeah. last year, I had the hope that the French might develop, finally develop a fucking liberal movement that would confront Islam. But rather than doing that, the the French left is collapsing on the issue of Islam. It cannot decide uh -huh. whether to be confrontational or to just preach the endless drowning message of being tolerant with a bunch of butcherers. I think that's something that uh, that we're seeing. Glo I, I think it's 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 actually a lot more prevalent in Europe than it is in the United States. Um, uh, is this collapse of the left? But I, I want to say, like, uh, the French elections are going to be interesting because uh, Filion, who I'm, I'm going to mispronounce everything. I'm an American. Fuck you. Um, but uh, he he was um, uh, caught up in a scandal, and that scandal is really hurting his chances. I think he was caught like tax. paying people. A yeah, tax some, some yeah. tax scandal. Yeah, I, I don't remember exactly. Yeah, it's, French it's politics weird... is incredibly corrupt. Like they had yeah, a they had of a, course a previous president barely avoiding jail time. I think it was Jacques Chirac, who was found guilty of corruption whilst he was mayor of Paris. Yeah, and there's nobody on the left who can really uh, uh, gather any popular support. It was going to be between Fillon and Fillon and Le Pen, and now Le Pen is basically, you know. She's just the only one who's head above the water, and and the problem is, is that um, everybody else, and this is this is how it always is, uh, when anybody in the spooky far right, and I I have no idea, I haven't looked too much into French politics beyond this like very vague cultural commentary, but um, they, th I don't think that Le Pen is going to gas all the muzzies. I think at the very least, like, the most surprising thing she's ever, you know, said is that we don't want dual citizenship. Okay, that's, that's you know, interesting, but whatever. Dual citizenship, that's your right to do it. And I think, uh, I don't even think she was going to, like, you know, kick out any of the, uh, the sort of uh, 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 French uh, Muslim... Uh, immigrants from, uh, you know, um, French overseas former colonies. But the entire rest of the political spectrum refuses to allow her to have any voice or any chance at governing because they they always raise the specter of Hitler because 
and that sort of silencing tactic is why they're there's actually a name for that endless death spiral there's actually a name for that in french politics it's called the republican pact um ironically to a certain degree that is if a you know they have two rounds of votes because they always yeah, have yeah. like five presidential candidates and the ones that have most of the votes then go into the second round and it's a two-horse race from there on. And there is, this, right. there is this Republican pact which essentially says that if a far-left candidate, for example, wins the first round of election, the first rounds of election and so does a conservative, um, the, the remaining left-wingers who didn't vote for the far-left candidate would vote conservative rather than getting the far-lefty into the presidential yeah. office. Same way around, if a right-winger wins the election and a moderate left-winger, conservatives will vote for the moderate left-winger just to keep the right-winger out of the yeah. presidential palace. And this has been going on in France ever since the 90s, which was the first time when I think it was Le Pen's father, yeah, Le Pen's father, who won the first round of elections, kicked out the socialist candidate, and the race was between him and Jacques Chirac, and the left wing ended up voting for Jacques Chirac over Le Pen. And a lot of people say, oh, Marie Le Pen will win it. The only way she can win it in the first round is if she gets over 50%, and I can already say now she will never get that. Um, yeah, not in the first round. But the problem is is that Marie Le Pen raises legitimate concerns, and the rest of the political sphere is ignoring these legitimate concerns. Well, that's, Islam, that's, Islam, is an issue, uh, Islam as an issue has by now caught... There's literally only... Out of the four political parties... No, wait, five. There's a far-left party, there's a splinter left-wing party, there's the old left-wing party, there's the conservative party, and then there's the Front National. Out of these five parties... There's only one party left that is the far left, which is not confronting Islam. The rest have by now said, yes, we have a Muslim problem in France. The rest are by now agreeing on the fact that they have to confront some kind of issue. It has yeah. been forced on them, more or less, through the last well, years. Well, uh, of course it would, because the problem is, is that that's, I mean, it's an incredibly prevalent issue in Europe. Obviously, over here, it's not as prevalent, but... Um, but the the issue that's coming is that the left has lost every single ounce of moral high ground through their refusal to concede that point, and then their sudden and abrupt complete uh, 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 their complete uh, uh, accepting of that point. They they've they've lost that sort of sense of uh, eternal rightness. You know the the idea that history bends left wing. History bends yeah. towards progress. That that sort of grand narcissism of the left. That's completely gone. It's 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 non-existent. And the issue they've been the issue... they've been turned into petulant children. If we are being honest, because mm -hmm. I've only recently started getting confronted by actual social justice warriors, and the only thing I get, the only thing I get, is criticism when I point out Islamic crime rates and stuff like that, and global terror statistics. Is you're a racist. You're a racist. It's a fact. You're a racist. Constantly, none of the issues yeah. I present actually get examined. And that's the only thing the left has been reduced to, just a petulant caricature of a, of a little spoiled brat. Yeah, it's entirely true. And I, I'm American politics is different because where France would never elect Le Pen, uh, obviously Donald Trump is nowhere politically or culturally or socially a Le Pen. But... Uh, uh, he is the same sort of anti-globalist, pro-nationalist. Not so much blood and soil 
uh, nationalism. He's much more American nationalism has always been this very identity driven nationalism. It's it's you know we were afraid of the Irish not because oh they're different they're they're not American. It's because well they're coming here they have a really high crime rate. Who who are these people? They're Catholic. They they're not really American. They don't have our ideals and our principles and our religion. It's not you know this this very cut and dry. You're not our ethnic group. You're not in my family. You're not in my extended family like it is with uh, old European nationalism. Well, the but thing is, however, much this... the thing is, however, because you mentioned previously that the French national, the Front National is mainly a young following. I think a mm-hmm. lot of people also have this delusion that politics can bring change with over the course of, you know, maybe a day, a year or something like one election and everything is over. The thing is, however, that's a political movement always starts out in the wilderness and I see that happening Mm. here right now these young people which are currently supporting the Front National and which are in their early 20s they are pretty much the future of right-wing politics in France for the next 20 years they might not get into the presidential palace diselection but go 10 years down the road when they are in their 30s and 40s they will be members of parliament they will be mayors of major French cities I mean the movement that got Donald Trump elected started in 2008 with the economic crisis and the bailouts yeah exactly it it was it was this uh this it was actually the hatred of the republican party that got donald trump elected and this is something that you you know it's not often talked a lot because the liberals the left in our country deny it they deny it even though it's true even though it's true. Well, it, it's not even that. They refuse to even entertain the conservative position. Conservatives fucking hate the Republican Party. Of course, the uh, the leftist liberals hate the Republican Party too because, oh, they're Republicans. I disagree with them. But conservatives hate the Republican Party because they see all of the, you know, the, all the John Stewart, the John Oliver takedowns. Well, you say you're for conserving this country, but you're only conserving your big interests. And conservatives are like, yeah. I fucking know. That's why we elected Trump. And that's exactly it's it's this sort of this continuous denial of the other positions uh validity or even even the the willingness to to intellectually entertain their position or or to question the validity of their position. It's this entrenchment that happens that uh, that uh, There is this endless fight over the right side. The right side of yeah. history, so to speak. Everyone yeah. in American politics constantly seeks out to be on the supposed right side of history. And the, the fact is that these, I like to call them Goldberg, after Barry Goldberg, I like to call them Goldberg conservatives, that wing of the Republican Party that is really yeah. fiscally conservative. These Goldberg conservatives, Goldberg uh, Republicans in the United States, are the ones that started the movement, uh, which in the end got Donald Trump elected with the Tea Party and so forth. And in 2008 and 2009, when the big federal bailouts happened after the big banks collapsed, they were right. They were on the right side of history. They turned out to be right with the fact that the big banks shouldn't have been bailed out. And I guess a lot within the American liberal left who like to brag about things like saying, oh, yes, we are the masters who, you know, managed to create and succeed with the civil rights movement, even though the civil rights movement happened in the 50s and had close to nothing to do with the Democratic Party. In that mindset, where they're always on the right side of history, they could never accept the fact that a conservative movement was actually right about something. And this conservative movement was right about something. It was right about yeah. that issue. 
And they and the worst part about it is they had the same enemies. Yeah. They had the same fucking enemy. It's big business, but you know the left can't accept the Tea Party has the same enemy and a good point just from a conservative pers- uh, perspective. It's it's just ridiculous. It's it's in the same way that uh, uh, you know atheists always poo poo. Oh, Christians are just you know they just hate Islam because of their religion. Well, maybe Christians hate Islam because Islam has forever been antithetical to any kind of uh, other religion. Christian. Yeah. Well, any other religion at all. And so Christians feel this identity-driven hatred towards them. And that's the problem. It's it's an issue that I see. It's an issue within human circumstances that this is all an identity game. And very, very little of it has anything to do with facts or statistics. I like, I like to call it cultural propriety. Because it also has a, it has a completely different negative effect. I think a great example is, for example, the Democrats clinging on to the civil rights movement, even though if we're being perfectly honest, and everyone who looks into the civil rights movement will see this for himself, the civil rights movement didn't start in the Democratic Party. It started in black churches. It started with white people who wanted to marry black people and were barred from doing so with the law. It was pl- purely a citizen movement, not a political yeah. movement. And they have clinged on to it. They have created this image that they were the saviors of Americans' black population, when in fact, by creating this image, they have become the doom of the black population. Their policies yeah. in democratically run cities have confined African Americans into fucking miserable conditions suffering on the gang violence and uh, doomed essentially to never rise above what they have been put placed to put, placed into it's entirely true there's um and the negative uh, effect of that what i wanted to say is um the negative effect from this demographic propriety you know this cling on to saying yeah this demographic belongs to me because 40 years ago i claim to have done this that and this the negative effect of that is that black conservatives, and I've noticed this frequently, are just treated like shit by any mm-hmm. liberal. Like, you're an they Uncle really Tom. Are. You're like, really the most vile, racist, puerile, petulant shit. And it, it's disgusting. It's something that won't bring you anywhere in the end. It really is. And uh, honestly, if... If our culture had any semblance of sanity, we would uh, see anybody who would say anything. Like I'm, I'm not like uh, uh, afraid of racist statements. You know, I think racism can be funny, but when it actually comes to real racism, I think that is an an, an abhorrent thing, and it is an incredibly racist thing. It is built on this racist identity, and it's an unfortunate fact. Like I said earlier, everything. We're realizing after the fall of communism, and I think this is the sort of cultural uh, malaise that we that we're in. Is this this there was this grand ideological clash, but after the fall of uh, uh, of aristocracy, there was this grand ideological clash because because instead of God, King, and country, it was you know the God that failed. It was these grand ideologies that moved and motivated men. So these ideologies in the 20th century have had their great battles and, their, uh, and really sort of, sort of acted as a, um, a, a buffer or, or they sort of solidified the world against itself. 
and it didn't allow for any of these other, you know, more natural conflicts to happen because everybody was was so concerned with communism and capitalism and socialism and uh, fascism, etc., that we weren't concerned with family, with identity, with community, with Well, the thing is, nation. the thing that has to be added to that is that these conflicts did happen, but they didn't happen to us. They happened, for example, yeah. in the Middle East, where the Shah tried to modernize Iran and was essentially overthrown by a movement that sought out to restore an Islamic Persian culture. Yeah. No, and, and that's the thing, is that th we don't we haven't seen the rise of islamic fascism in our backyard so we're just struggling from this great victory to to find any kind of identity and there's this grand chasing of that old you know that old liberal victory that old conservative victory you know jfk and ronald reagan are the two paragons of virtue in our in, in american politics and and i frankly i think it's sick and i think it's so removed from reality and i think it's 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 focused so much on this ideological battle that it's completely ignoring all of these. We, we see it today in our modern times as well. The the way in which Trump is being compared to um, Ronald Reagan, and the way in which Obama was compared to Kennedy, even though it's really two very far fetched yeah, exactly. comparisons. There's exactly. a longing there, there by nothing. our there's a longing by our society to get back into the Cold War, essentially. Because everything was simple then. Everything was simple in the Cold War. It was these grand ideologies. It was right versus wrong. And I think that's why, why nobody thinks about World War I anymore. Nobody, nobody talks about it, and it's an interesting conversation because World War One is one of the most politically interesting wars that you could ever you could ever think about. I mean, like mechanically, you know, it, it wasn't all that interesting. They didn't have tanks; it was trenches. It wasn't this glorious battlefield. But politically speaking, the the backroom deals, the sort of intrigue, the espionage, it was really fucking interesting. And World War Two is what we all focus on because there was a clear good guy and a clear bad guy. Yeah. And that's what we want. And we desire that because this was the conflict that has shaped the political conversation for the last century. And now we're still having that same fucking political conversation and Hitler's been dead for uh for what what is it now? 80 years? We're dragging Hitler's and Stalin's corpse up to beat them with sticks again and again when Muhammad is right over there, right fucking there raping our wife. Yeah. That's what it is. We're beating these these old ideologies with a stick. And We're refusing to confront the future and the present. We are. And the thing is, is that children, and this is the interesting thing, and I thought that I, I was skeptical about seeing this first because uh, I saw this from, I think it was like in the Daily Mail, you know, first like, okay, Daily Mail, maybe, I don't know, it's not exactly a credible source, but it talked about how young people, Generation Z, is the most conservative generation ever, and I was like, well, maybe that's just because of all the Muslims in the United Kingdom, but then I saw another study in the United States, which showed the exact same thing, Generation Z in the United States is the most conservative generation since, since World War II, the most conservative on social issues, on everything, and I think it's because... It, it's, it might not be with, I, I'm sorry for interrupting you, it might just not have to do with the fact that we're holding on to the Cold War. It might also be a backlash to the 1968 movement. Yeah, I think that that's entirely what this is. The 1968 movement was the sort of high watermark of leftist cultural zeitgeist. It was, and it's it, run its uh, course. It is no longer and, useful. 
it, it isn't useful. And if I'm honest, I don't ever think it was useful. It's I detrimental that, to a culture by now. It's completely detrimental by now. It is useless. I, I don't even think it was ever. Uh, it was ever beneficial. I mean, there's a couple things that got you know, like I guess uh, contraception is nice, and uh, we're a little more accepting of other sexualities. But I mean, when it comes to the actual ideology and the actual things that it achieved. It was so detrimental to our in uh, our entire way of life and the way we look at things. And one example I can always bring, it's it's the main way that I think about how we've been, uh, we've really just been brainwashed into thinking that the hippies were just these paragons of virtue. But the hippies were pieces of shit. Yeah. And uh, you look, look at the Vietnam War. Like we always get, oh, America, you lost the Vietnam War. No, we won the Vietnam War. We didn't feel like invading the North, so we never fucking did. We stabilized everything, we set up the South, and then we left. We had won it, we left, and then you know what happened after we left? The North invaded again, and because the Democrats or the far left was in power, they decided to defund everything that we had promised the Vietnamese. So the communists took over, and they put anywhere between half a million and two million people into communist re-education camps. And there's a couple letters that we've been able to find from these camps that were smuggled out, not asking for food, not asking for, for you know, escape. They were asking for cyanide pills because it was so bad in these camps that they just wanted to kill themselves. Congratulations, hippies. That is what you accomplished. It was a great accomplishment. You caused two million people to be genocided in Vietnam that we don't even fucking know about because the communist regime hid everything. They gaslit their entire population. And we've been gaslit to believe that these, that the hippies, that the 1968 movement was the greatest achievement of Western civilization, the vanguard well, of everything that we believe. It's, it's, and it's not the hippie movement, to be honest, bullshit. which is the most negative side effect of the 1968 movement, even though, well, the hippie movement kind of died, if we're being honest. It died off in the 70s. Uh -huh. The thing... The biggest curse from the 1968 movement is the a new authoritarian left, which kind of, through cultural Marxism, separated itself from the Soviet left, the Soviet authoritarian left, but was still yeah. authoritarian within its own way. A reinvigorated, more sinister Marxism that established itself throughout Western democracies and is still haunting us to uh, this very day. Uh, it really is. Yeah, that is the and most negative I side effect. I think that there's like there's two things that I think are, are interesting about that. Uh, you know about the Milo protest at yeah. Berkeley. Um, Berkeley was always you know uh, held up as this free speech area, but the truth is is that you, you know Ronald Reagan had to move in the National Guard to get the students in Berkeley off of public property because they wanted a uh, the, there was some development happening in Berkeley. Uh, like it was going to make a park because parking on universities, if you've ever been to university, parking is shit. So they're gonna, they were going to build a parking garage. No, we want an actual park. We want trees. We're environmentalists. Uh, and, and, you know, Ron Reagan moved in there, and uh, uh, they apparently they started firing, firing buckshot at them. And, like, uh, someone actually died, and people were hospitalized, and it was just fucking crazy. And it's a, this isn't a free speech movement. These are children. Yeah. These are petulant, childish thugs. These are people refusing to And it's the same thing with Nixon. Exactly. And that's what the left doesn't realize is Nixon was highly popular, incredibly popular. And Jimmy Carter was a fucking disaster. So the right wing has 
uh, when they tried this shit back in the 60s, the right wing had this huge movement, this huge popular movement that re-elected Nixon and Reagan on this huge landslide. And liberals have really not had a landslide since. Yeah, because rioting in the streets isn't exactly something that will gain you popularity in any modern society. Rioting is something you do if you actually want to seize control of something. You know, if if you're going to start a riot, do it. Please do it in an actual authoritarian regime and please do it with the intent of actually taking over a government institution. Don't just do it uh, to be some pathetic fucking symbol. And it's because... It's all because, like I, like I was saying before, the commodification of culture. It's this externalization of bad results and the commodification of culture. Because these people, they don't want to actually think about the issues. They, want to actually, they don't want to actually talk about it and have a conversation with the other side. It's all this grand capitalistic enterprise that corporations do to get money out of the SJW pieces of shit. That they pander to them and make them feel morally superior... And they stand upon this pedestal and rain down condescension because it feels good and it enhances their ego. Because it feels good for them to drag out the the most evil person in the world and beat him with a stick. And while they're they're doing that, they're losing the next generation and they've lost the argument. And yeah, this, my sort this, of fear is that this fake culture will no longer sell. That is a prediction that I am going to make. That is that this. Commodificate, commodificated culture, as you call it, will become increasingly unpopular as the years go by, and within the next two, three, four years, it will stop selling. You will see yeah. the disappearance of things like, um, I don't know, um, the MTV videos, these obnoxious MTV videos and whatnot, and then being replaced with possibly even actual culture, traditional culture being sold again. Because as soon as corporate interest, as soon as they figure out that this kind of stuff no longer sells anymore, they will lose all interest. They will go and sell whatever sells. And that's the hopeful thing. It really is a hopeful thing. Uh, It's sort of a hopeful and depressing thing at the same time because uh, uh, the the benefits of living in a capitalist society is that uh, you get everything that you want. Because that's what capitalism is. Everybody collectively buys the stuff that they want. But the detriment is all of the corporations that are succeeding, everything that's benefiting, everything that exists is all your fucking fault. So you have nobody to blame but yourself. And the good thing is maybe that means we as a society can better ourselves individually and be uh, and create a better future generation z it's all up to you maybe you can finally return us to some semblance of re- of reason rationale and uh western civilization but um uh i'm not gonna cross my fingers i'm, I'm not gonna hold my breath mm-hmm.